Good afternoon. Good to see you all here. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, you can. A couple of announcements before we get started. Um, one, I wanted to let you know, last Sunday um, I came up and said, hey, we've got some students who are in need of help getting to camp. We had seven students who um, otherwise wouldn't be able to make it to camp. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you to the church. You guys gave big time and covered all the financial needs uh, over and above. Matter of fact, we had people at the end who were like, ah, oh, I should have given my money sooner. And, uh, and so we're just so thankful for um, the church and the way you always respond with generosity to make sure, especially that our kids and our students get to go to camp every year. And so they'll stu our students will be leaving this Tuesday, headed to youth camp. So now we're going to pray over them and the work that God's going to do in their lives uh, this coming week. And so I want to let you know that. Thank you, church, for showing up big time. Um, also wanted to um, spotlight one of our team ministries um, that uh, we're all very familiar with. We just got to experience a little bit of their service, the worship team. Uh, we're so thankful for our worship team. Uh, you may not know all the time that they put in every week um, from Thursday night rehearsals, several hours on Thursday nights, and then show up at 7 uh, a.m. on Sunday mornings, getting ready to go and lead us in worship. Uh, not just one, not just two, three services. That's right, we do music in every service. If you haven't been to the other ones, they're, they're there too, leading worship. And so we're so thankful for our worship team. Uh, but the part of the worship team that you may not be aware of, unless something goes wrong, are the, the part of the worship team that serve upstairs in our sound booth. And we are equally thankful for um, all of those who serve upstairs, running our lighting, our sound, our projector, um, that rotating group that serve every Sunday. And once again, we don't ever think about them unless something goes wrong. Uh, but, but thankfully, we don't think about them a lot because they do such a great job. And so, hey, thank you guys for all that you do up there. Um, the others in the room who sometimes rotate through, thank you for that. Thank you for the worship team. I want to let you know we're actually going to be holding open tryouts for the worship team uh, in two weeks on June the 23rd at 10 a.m. If that's your passion and your gifting is music, um, then you know that, um, that it takes kind of playing together to see if there's a chemistry, if this thing's going to work. And so we say, let's just do this. Open tryouts, 10 a.m. on June 23rd. You come in um, and, and be a part of that time playing together. And if you've got questions like, which xylophone do I bring? Do I need to bring my own tuba? Um, all those questions need to be routed uh, to an email address, worship at srchurch.tv. So if you're interested in participating, you can let us know you're coming by that same email address. <coughs> Excuse me. Worship at srchurch.tv or if you have questions about that. So I want to let you all know about um, that opportunity to serve in our worship ministry. All right. So we are on the second week in the sermon series. Uh, summer, uh, a sermon series that's going to take us through the whole summer. Uh, the title of the series is this, Even Sinners Such as I. And we started last week looking at the Apostle Paul and how he made this, this declaration of honest humility uh, to a young pastor named Timothy. He said, hey man, this is why Jesus came to the world, to save sinners. And oh, by the way, I'm the worst one. And we talked about how every person in the room can relate to that statement because what Paul is saying essentially is, I know myself better than anybody else knows me, right? And so I know my sin better than anybody else knows my sin. So therefore, from my perspective, I'm the worst sinner, which every person in the room, if we're going to be really honest, right, can make that same declaration. I am the worst sinner that I know. And so that uh, set the trajectory for the sermon series. And what we're going to do now, starting today, 
is um, at the end of the sermon, you're going to get a chance to hear um, a video testimony from one of our elders um, or one of our staff members. And so, um, and so when I came to them and pitched this idea, hey, this is what we're going to do, um, I said, hey, guys, I'll go first, all right? So I'm doing that today. I'm going to share a little bit of my story uh, in just a little bit. Um, but first, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at an interesting topic. Uh, this, this topic is such a dichotomy because um, it can be the, the most comfortable thing to talk about and the least comfortable thing to talk about, depending on who we're talking about. And this is what I mean, weakness. Now, when it comes to talking about other people's weakness, most of us have no problem with that. Matter of fact, we are too comfortable talking about other people's weaknesses. However, when the conversation shifts and becomes about us, things become incredibly uncomfortable, right? And so there's kind of this dichotomy depending on who we're talking about, whether or not we're willing to talk about weaknesses. I don't mind talking about your weaknesses. It doesn't make me uncomfortable to talk about your weaknesses. However, when you start looking at me and you put me under the spotlight, I'll start to squirm a little bit and get uncomfortable as you begin to look at my flaws and my weaknesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about um, not only how God meets us in our weaknesses, but what we as Christ followers are to do with those weaknesses. We're going to start in verse 7 together. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So, is where Paul begins. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So, several things are happening in the Apostle Paul's heart and mind that are leading us to this verse of Scripture. First of all, he was being tempted to become conceited. That word in the original language means to self-exalt or to exalt oneself. So Paul was sensing in his heart that he was at that place where he was beginning to be tempted to exalt himself, to brag on himself, to be conceited. Now he says it twice here, so we would assume that was a prevailing struggle of his. Now, a couple other things are happening here. So what Paul says is that because of these revelations that he was experiencing, so Paul was experiencing a lot of amazing things that God was doing in his life, through his life, and speaking through Paul to the churches. Matter of fact, the guy we're talking about, if you don't know who Paul was, he's the primary human author of your New Testament. Okay, It's the second part of your Bible. He has more words, more chapters, more books in your New Testament than any other human author. So at this point, he was just being honest. Guys, I'm, I'm struggling with not becoming conceited or exalting myself. And so he says, so in order to keep me from becoming conceited or exalted, I was given this thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't really know specifically what this thorn was. Some have speculated that this was this ongoing struggle with a specific sin. Something he just couldn't get away from. He couldn't just quit doing. And so he wrestled with it. And it, was, it had become a thorn in his flesh. This irritation, this reminder of his weaknesses. And he, he didn't like it. Others have speculated, no, no, probably more of a physical ailment. Like his eyesight was poor. Uh, maybe he had some kind of chronic illness going on. Like migraine headaches or some kind of fever going on. And a rash. And it, and it, it was just this persistent, ongoing thing in his life that had become a thorn in his flesh. 
Others would, would assume that since he talks so much about persecution and suffering in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that that's what he's alluding to, that you know, what Paul is saying is, man, I keep going into town preaching the gospel, and people keep throwing rocks at me and dragging me out to the edge of town trying to kill me. And you know what? That's starting to become a thorn in the flesh. Now, there are two things that we've already learned about weaknesses and struggles from what he said. Two things. These are the very things that Satan uses to harass us. So whether it is this ongoing struggle with sin, some type of physical ailment, suffering or persecution, we know what Satan's doing with it, right? He's trying to hijack this and use it to harass Paul. Now we're beginning to relate a little bit, right? Because this is where Satan begins to whisper lies into our ears. Because this weakness is in your life, because this struggle is in your life, you are not worthy, you're not fit. If other people knew this, they wouldn't like you. They wouldn't accept you. They, would, they wouldn't love you. And so these lies that Satan uses to harass us, to try to convince us that God doesn't love us and that we are unworthy. And Paul says, but here's the thing. Not only is that happening, but guess what? God's actively involved, and he's using that thorn in the flesh for my good. In this particular case, to keep me humble. Because Paul knew, like, I don't need to become self-exalting and prideful. That's devastating. So out of God's love for me, he's keeping me from becoming conceited, keeping me humble by using this thorn in the flesh. Once again, this theme that what Satan means for harm in my life, God can redeem and use it for my good. Now, in verse 8, Paul talks a little bit about his struggle with this. He says this. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. That's a pretty strong word here. <clears throat> it wasn't just a casual conversation between Paul and Jesus. He's begging God. I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. So what Paul's saying is, listen, I beg God, take this from me. Get it out of my life. I don't want it in my life anymore. I begged God, take this from me. I've prayed like that before. I don't know if you have. God, take this from me. I don't think I can handle this anymore. I don't want this in my life. God, take this from me. Now, what's interesting about Paul's example to us is that he's, he's really pointing us to a better example, which is Jesus. And we look at Jesus' prayer life. Um, we see Jesus in the garden there the night where he had been betrayed and he's waiting on the soldiers to come arrest him like he knows that's on the way. So he goes out to pray in the garden. You guys remember this? And he's just in agony. He's pleading with the Father. Do you remember what he prayed? My Father, if it's possible, would you take this cup of suffering from me? But nevertheless, not what I want, your will be done. You know how many times he prayed that? Three times. So we see Jesus wrestling with this agony and this suffering in his humanity. And he's begging the Father to take from him three times. But in the end, he submits to the Father and says, you know what? You know what's best. This is what I want, but you know what's best, so your will be done here. Now, the Apostle Paul as he's begging and pleading with the Lord, he gets a response from Jesus, and we read about this in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, Paul begins to present to us somewhat of a paradox, talking about weakness and power together, as if somehow they affect one another in a positive way in our lives. What's interesting is when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians together, this is actually a primary theme that Paul presents to the church in Corinth, that somehow there's a connection between human weakness and God's power. Let's give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Listen to what Paul writes to the church about the church. So if you're here today and you say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm trusting in Christ as my Savior, then then Paul says, hey, this is about you then. Listen. For consider your calling, brothers, church. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What an interesting thing that Paul says about us, right? He says, oh, church, hey, come here, come here real quick. Do you want me to tell you why God chose you to be his church? And we'd line up and go, yeah, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm really smart, I'm really talented, you know, she's really pretty, he's really good with the people, this person's really good with the kids, this person's a great musician, we, we know, right? Paul said, no, 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 no. He chose you because you're foolish, because you're, you come from ennoble, you're you're not noble. You come from a noble lineage. You're not a group of have it together. You're a group of have nots. God chose you because when he works in you and through you into the world, there'll be no mistake whose power it is. It's not you. It's not your talent, your gifts, your good looks, your ability to impress people that make the church powerful. It's our weaknesses. God chose what was foolish in the world. God chose what was weak in the world through which to be powerful. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about his own weaknesses in verses 3 and 4. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That takes a lot for a man to say that. Paul said, hey, remember when I was with you and I was like scared to death, like I was nervous? Why was Paul nervous? Look what he says. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. What Paul is saying is, remember how when I'd get up in front of you, I was so nervous and shaking, and I wasn't this powerful speaker, and I didn't impress you with my ability to to communicate. So evidently, Paul wasn't so, so much for the stage. Now, he's a great writer, but not a great public speaker. But look at what he says. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that what your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God Paul said listen God worked through me while I was scared to death I was shaking in my boots when I was talking with you and and we were we were conversing back and forth but here's why God did that so that in the end you wouldn't think that the power resided in me that I wasn't the source of power you would look at, at me and go you're you're kind of a wimp yeah, and through that, then you would see, oh, man, God must be powerful. He can work through a guy like Paul. He can work through the rest of us, surely. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Paul talks about his suffering and affliction in verse 8. He says, I don't, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's talking about all this persecution and suffering that they experienced. Listen to this description. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul said it got so hard, so dark, so heavy, we literally thought we were going to die. That's how bad the persecution and suffering was. Indeed, verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You hear where Paul's mingling this idea of weakness and despair and saying, yeah, but it's in those moments of weakness and despair, the one who raised Jesus from the dead displays his power. One more example, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a beautiful chapter. I love this chapter. Let's read a couple of verses starting in verse 8. Paul's talking to the church. He's reminding us we are afflicted in every way. So if you're a Christian, you're not free from being afflicted. So we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested or revealed in our bodies. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What a beautiful picture. Paul's saying, listen, our outer self, our physical body, it's becoming more and more frail, more and more weak. But inside of us, the new man is becoming more and more alive, stronger, more vibrant. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look to things that are, not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen, for the things that you can see, those are transient. They're here today, they're gone, the more they're always changing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, we'll go back to Jesus' response to Paul, because it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's not what we might expect, right? We might expect Jesus to say, hey, Paul, um, if you can pray a little bit harder, maybe I'll do something about that thorn in the flesh. If you'll just muster up enough faith, enough faith to move mountains, then, then, then we'll remove that from your life. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus said, no, 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 Paul, that's actually not what you need. What, what you need has already been provided for you. My grace is sufficient. Now, this idea of sufficient sufficiency is really helpful because um, here's how the word plays out. This word sufficient means to be strong, to suffice, or to be enough. So what Jesus is saying to Paul is that my grace for you, Paul, is enough for you. Whatever your need is right now, with this thorn in the flesh, my grace is enough. What you have through the gospel is enough to make you strong. Again, not what we would expect Jesus to say. Think about it like this. The gospel for us secures a couple of things. One, our eternity. So when we've trusted in Christ as our Savior, we're no longer trying to work to get into heaven. It's done for us. That work is finished at the cross. 
So we talk about the gospel being enough for us. It's enough to get us into heaven, right? But it's more than that, right? Not only does it secure our eternity, it establishes our identity right now, right? Through trusting in Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus said, hey, trust in the work I've done for you, and here's what I'll do. I'll adopt you into the family, sons, daughters. That's big time. Right? You being weak and vulnerable can't change that because you didn't do anything to establish that. My gospel establishes that for you. Now think about that. Isn't that one of the very reasons why you and I try really hard not to be weak in front of people? Because I, I want you to have a better opinion of me. I want you to think that I'm smarter or stronger or better than I actually am. And so rather than show you my weakness, I hide it, I dress it up, I fix it up. And in doing that, what am I saying? My adoption as the Son of God in that moment isn't enough for me. And Jesus is reminding Paul, he's reminding us today, listen, the gospel is enough. It's enough. Paul's response is this, I love this. Because after he tells us what Jesus said to him, he says, therefore, I will do what? Boast. All the more gladly in my what? Weakness. Paul, what are you talking about? You're a fool. Why would you boast about your weakness? Now, you remember where we started a few minutes ago? Paul said, hey, I've got this boasting problem that God's trying to help me with. Right? I have this boasting problem. I'm, 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 I'm running uh, this danger of becoming conceited, self-exalting, bragging about myself. But I have this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan through which God is keeping me and making me humble. And now Paul says, hey, now I get to brag. But guess what? I'm not bragging in how awesome I am and all this work God's doing through me. Now I'm going to brag in my weakness. He says, I would rather boast in my weakness then do what my flesh wants to do, which is to deny it, hide it, dress it up, excuse it, or attempt to justify it. In order to experience, think about this, in order to experience the power of the gospel, you have to own your weaknesses. That is the essence of the gospel. We are weak, and we can do nothing to fix ourselves. So to say that I'm a Christian is to say what? I'm incapable of fixing myself. I need somebody else to do it. Which is essentially what? Boasting in weakness. I love verse 10. So here's Paul's conclusion to this whole conversation. In verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. Now, let's don't so quickly define that word. The word in the original language means this, to choose to find something good. Think about that. This isn't contentment that just happens inherently or easily. Some things in life, you don't have to work very hard at to see them as good, right? They're just inherently good. Like uh, if you pull a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies out of the oven, you don't have to work very hard to go, that's good, Right, just the sight, the smell, and you already know I'm down with this. Right, it's good. What Paul's talking about is not contentment that just comes naturally. He's talking about choosing to see something as good. 
as Paul looks back on his struggles, as he looks at his present struggle with this thorn in the flesh, he's saying to the church, listen, church, I've learned that in my weakness is where Christ perfects his strengths, so I'm choosing to see my weakness as good. That's what he means by content. And if we're concerned about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, was it this, was it that? Look at what he says at the end. He covers all the bases. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, all of it, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever your weakness is, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that's the opposite message that we hear in the world around us, isn't it? Nowhere else in the world, other than the gospel, are you going to hear this message that your weakness is the key to being strong? The gospel leads us to boast in our weakness rather than hiding or pretending to be something we are not. God takes the things that Satan uses to harass us and then he uses them to humble us and ultimately make us stronger. Paul's conclusion was that if Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness, guess what? Then I would rather boast in my weakness than try to hide it. Through Paul's example, God is showing us how to embrace our weakness in humility and transparency and then allow his power to meet us in our weakness. I want to end with one quick analogy. I was uh, singing that song we just sang, Mercy, Mercy is Endless as the Sea. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to sing that now in three services today. And, and where I stand to sing, um, if you look into the baptismal, you see a reflection off the screen. And I was in the second service just, just kind of staring into the baptismal water, singing mercy, mercy, and realized the words are right there on top of the water, as endless as the sea. And the water was just, just kind of moving and refracting that image. And I, ha- I had this epiphany, if you will, of what I think Paul's talking about here. You see, that's actually what we were designed and created to do, to reflect the image of God to the world around us, to be like the surface of the water and to reflect God's goodness to the world around us. And I would propose this to you, and I think this is essentially what Paul's getting at. The most powerful you can be in your life, the most powerful, is not to be at the top of the corporate ladder, It's not to be the best husband, the best dad in the world. Those are all good things. Nothing wrong with those things. But the most powerful you can be is to be a perfect reflection of God's mercy. How do you do that? By owning weakness and saying, this is where God has been good to me. And I think that's what Paul's saying. We saw him say that to Timothy last week. I think he's saying to the church in Corinth this week, look at how good God is. Look at how good God is. What do you mean, Paul? Look at my life. I'm I'm a mess. I'm weak. I'm not a good speaker. Yet look at what God is doing. My life just serves as a refraction, an imperfect reflection of the goodness of God to the world around me. Now, I want to take an opportunity to share a little bit of my story with you guys. Um, We recorded these um, on video, so we're going to watch a short video of just a little piece of my story, and so if you'll um, give me your attention for just a moment, um, and then after that, um, our prayer partners are going to be at the front. Um, if you've not 
worship with us before. Um, our prayer partners are available at the end of the service to pray with you. If uh, you're not a Christian, they're here to talk with you about making that decision. If you have questions, help answer those. Or maybe today just struck a chord with you, something that you've been praying through or wrestling with, and you want somebody to pray with you, they're going to be here for that. They'll be down front, and then our worship team will be back up on the stage. Uh, So let's go ahead and run a video. Hi, I'm Jason Williams, and um, I serve as lead pastor here at Solid Rock. I've been here for 10 years this summer. I'm also a uh, husband and a father. Um, But before all those things, um, I'm a Christ follower, which means uh, Jesus is working in my life. Um, He is conquering sin, and um, He is conforming me into His image day by day, struggle by struggle. And so, um, just want to share a little bit of my story. Um, I grew up in uh, in a home where mom was the leader. Uh, Dad went to prison when I was five. My parents divorced. Uh, Mom took over. Uh, worked hard to make sure that all my physical needs were met, uh, but we didn't spend much time, if any, in the church. Um, I didn't come to know Christ until after my sophomore year in high school. I had a friend invite me to youth camp. I can remember being there at youth camp and just looking around the room the first night, thinking, I mean, these people really love Jesus. And just, just a couple of nights later, I made a decision to give my life to Christ, to follow Him. And... Uh, and, and really, even you know, in those initial moments, he began to stir my heart for ministry and uh, began to direct my path towards um, his calling for me. And um, you know, early on, wrestle between what I wanted to do in life versus what he was calling me to do. About four years into my walk with Christ, I, I hit this wall of what I describe now as this really dark season of depression. Um, I was, from my perspective, I was doing everything Jesus had asked me to do. I was still pursuing a lot of my earthly ambitions and had all these balls in the air. And, and one by one, things began to unravel. Um, job began to fall apart. Relationships began to fall apart. And I found myself just, just spiraling into this dark season of depression. And, and early on, I can remember just being so prideful, not wanting to admit to anybody that I was struggling, not wanting to admit to anybody that I was weak. I was just so prideful during that season. And, and really what, what happened is rather than admitting that I was wrestling or struggling with something, I began to drift into sinful um, behaviors. I began to, um, to reach out to alcohol, I began to push boundaries in physical relationships um, with girls. I began to... Um, uh, to overeat and just my sleep patterns were just very self-indulgent and um, and so rather than you know you know rather than walking in repentance and and asking you know God to meet me in my weakness I was really essentially kind of reaching out in my own strength trying to fix myself so that I didn't have to admit to anybody um, that I that I was struggling and um, a turning point was about a year into this this spiral of depression my mom had taken me to lunch and before she dropped me off at the house, I can remember just this desperate sound in her voice as she mustered up the courage to ask me, you know, what was going on? What was, what was so wrong with life that I had, you know, spiraled into this, this dark state? And I can remember asking me, you know, if I had murdered somebody. And, and I just remember looking at my mom thinking, wow, that was out of nowhere and kind of giggled to myself. But it was this wake-up call that, you know, from the outside looking in, I, was, I wasn't fooling anybody anymore. Um, all of my struggles were obvious. And um, and in that conversation, you know, she said, Jason, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to get you some help and maybe we could do some, some outpatient Christian counseling. And, and, and so she set that up and I spent a week um, uh, with, 
um, counseling and, and just walking through my struggles and where all this came from. And long story short, the, the most freeing moment for me um, out of all that counseling was this turning point where I just began to talk openly um, about my weakness with this group of strangers who I didn't know. I was finally in an environment where it was safe to just be me and to be weak. And it was such a freeing moment for me. Um, you know, up until this point, I, you know, would go to the Bible for answers. I would cry out to Jesus to rescue me, to take this depression away, take the darkness away, just make me normal again. That was my prayer. And I can remember, you know, not finding any comfort at all in the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians where he talks about um, this thorn in his flesh, this messenger from Satan that he cried out to the Lord to remove it from him three times. And Jesus responded was, his response was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And I can remember how non-comforting that was for me to think that, you know what, Jesus might just leave me here for the rest of my life. And I didn't like that answer, but you know, what I was discovering um, through counseling and what I was discovering from going back to my home church and talking with my pastor um, was that that wasn't the end of the passage there. That after Paul says that Jesus responded, my grace is sufficient for you, he says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I was so desperate for the power of Christ um, to rest on me. Um, but I didn't realize that it was the boasting and weakness. It was the admitting that I was weak and that I needed help. Um, that's what Paul was, was, was calling me to. And um, so that turning point, you know, I wish I could say that the depression immediately left, the, the clouds parted, the sun came out in my life. Um, there was a, still a long journey ahead um, as, as Christ began to walk with me out of this spiral of depression. And, you know, sometimes people ask, you know, do you still wrestle with depression? And you know, the, the reality is that I, I, I haven't experienced what I experienced when I was 21 um, again. Uh, but, um, but there is this daily reminder of weakness in my life. And there, there are days where um, you know, it, things begin to feel a little cloudy. Uh, I feel like I'm at the warning track, if you will, of hitting that wall again. And, you know, I come back to the words of, of Paul after, after making this statement that he, he learned to boast in his weakness because it was in his weakness that the, the power of Christ rested on him. Um, he says, therefore, for the sake of Christ, I'm now content in weaknesses because it's when I'm weak that I'm actually strong. And you know, when I look back on you know, that, that season in my life, I, even though when I was going through it, it was... It was hard, um, I, there was nothing joyful about it. Now I look back with joy as I see all that Christ was doing in my life. And on a daily basis now, my, my weakness reminds me that Christ is still working in me. And so like Paul, I'm learning daily to, to find contentment in weakness, um, knowing that it's in my weakness that He is making me strong.